My passage is from Psalms 37. This passage means so much to me since it's a daily reminder to be still in the presence of the Lord. It's a reminder not to worry about the evil people who prosper, but rather to act in love and happiness. This passage is important because it's a reminder to me to feel calm and to resist from being anxious and being impatient because it helps me realize and learn to be still in God's presence and to rest in his love. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass. For me, I sometimes struggle with being patient since I sometimes get pretty bad anxiety that makes me feel worried, which usually causes me to jump to conclusions, causing me to feel frustrated and antsy. I'm someone who has really high expectations since I always want to be perfect in everything. Although, going to church and building a relationship with God has made me realize that I'm never going to be perfect and that there are always going to be bad days, which is why it's important to keep moving forward and to learn from your mistakes. Someone to turn to is so important since it allows me to keep my head up even during frustrating situations. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. This passage by David is telling us how important it is to turn from evil to good and how your righteousness will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. David wrote this passage as a reminder to the people reading this that this world is God's creation, and it's a reminder not to be worried and patient and to take comfort in God's promise to the righteousness since he will reward his followers in the end, which is far more rewarding than being impatient and angry at something that means so little. The main reason I chose this passage and why it's so important to me is because it helps encourage and motivate me to trust in our Father and to give and devote our lives to him. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. To this day, I'm still learning to, to how to act in God's will, instead of acting in anger and frustration, as those won't get me anywhere in my future with our Lord. I'm learning to stay patient and to do good under God by not abandoning him in what he <clears throat> has called to do, since without him, I would have kept falling into sin like frustration and anger. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way. Frustration and impatience have been such a huge and key factor that has been with me throughout my life, which has been weighing me down in such a negative way, and how it's been hard to deal with in my life, especially when it comes to things I love, like sports. I've been playing competitive sports pretty much my whole life, and let me tell you, Patience and being in a good state of mind is the most important thing when competing in sports. For me, golf is definitely one of the most frustrating sports I've ever played, since you have to have the ability to stay composed, stay focused, and able to maintain your self-confidence all at the same time. And I'm not going to lie, golf has taken me to extreme levels of frustration, which is why it's important for me to stay patient during my rough rounds on the course. I've learned through God's love and affection that I shouldn't have perfect expectations when it comes to golf, especially since I've only been playing for about a year. 
I realize whenever I feel frustrated or angry due to a bad shot on the course that I just that I should just be still and think to our Lord rather than turning to anger and frustration. Instead, I play with patience and happiness, knowing my Heavenly Father takes care of me and my feelings when I'm out competing on the golf course. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. Over time, I've learned not to put so much pressure and stress on myself, since it's not a path that God would want me to go down. Instead, He would have wanted me to take a deep breath and refrain from anger, <clears throat> since anger only leads to sin and frustration. Whenever I'm frustrated on the course due to either me not playing well or I hit a bad shot, I stand still, closing my eyes so I can listen to my Father. I like listening to the wind and animals he has put on this earth. I like feeling the sun beam against my skin as I sit quietly, listening to myself and the things I am feeling, so I can release it appropriately in a loving manner. Going to church has taught me not to live by anxiety, but rather, but, but rather believe and live by prayer and the peace God brings to us every single day. I believe now I'm building a relationship with God and he will guard my heart, especially when frustration and anger appears, since I know he will help me cope and get rid of those wicked feelings and thoughts. He will make your vindication shine like the light and justice of your cause like noonday. When COVID-19 started, it really put me in a bad place because I was stuck in my home and wasn't allowed to go out and experience my second semester of sophomore year properly. Being quarantined had taken, me, had taken me to another level of impatience. Since I was frustrated, I couldn't go out and do the normal things that I usually do on a day-to-day -day basis. Everything was screwed up for me since lost and confused. I didn't know what was going to happen if I was ever going to see my friends and family again. Although my journey in the beginning was windy and rough, I felt disconnected from the world, and I didn't know what to do. This feeling of lostness and detachment from everything made me feel angry and frustrated inside, even though the situation was out of my control and I couldn't do anything about it. I was easy to anger and found myself being selfish and impatient towards others and their feelings. Although, being in this tough area in time, it led me to find our Savior Jesus Christ and the amazing things he's offered us. Following his messages and his love allowed me to take a different direction and path in my life, teaching me that there's far more to this life. Finding God has allowed me to focus my energy on the things I love and want to pursue. I'm learning to pursue and focus on my integrity and my happiness, rather than focusing on frustration and being impatient. I'm learning how to grow from my mistakes as those are only dust in the road and do not take things for granted as we're not promised tomorrow. Focusing on my faith has allowed me and inspired me to keep working hard in everything I do as a thank you for giving me the health and the ability to live freely on this beautiful earth that God has created. Thank you. Today I'll be sharing a reflection on a passage from Job and his struggles and how we relate to this passage. Who can say that they suffered more than Job did? Not anyone that I know of. 
God allowed Satan to buffet Job to such a degree that he started to despair even of his life in the day of his birth. But don't be too hard on Job. His friends accused him of sin. His wife told him to curse God and die. And Job never did find out the reason why God allowed him to suffer so much loss. He lost his children, his wealth, his health, his crops, his livestock, and even the relationship of his wife and best friends who turned on him and accused him of suffering because of his sins. Job felt like he was God's enemy due to his suffering and started complaining to God about his condition. Make no, make, it, make no mistake about it. Job really struggled with his suffering, saying, I loathe my very life, therefore I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked? Have you felt this too? Have you asked yourself these same questions? If so, you are not alone. God understands. He knows our frame and that we are frail, feeble, and weak. It's okay to question God and to doubt him, but we do not need to stay there. After God answered Job, he repented and was humbled before God. The COVID-19 pandemic can serve as, as a kind of lens through which we can view the book of Job. I believe that we will see Job's circumstances way back in time and our experience with the coronavirus have a number of similarities which will help us identify with Job and with his with this suffering. Because of the current pandemic, many people have lost their jobs and find themselves economically devastated. Job unexpectedly lost all of his wealth in a very short period of time. He too was broke. This coronavirus has taken the lives of friends, neighbors, and relatives, and there's so much grieving going on around the world. Job lost all of his friends in a moment of time. He had much to grieve over. And finally, many of those who are currently infected with the coronavirus are suffering greatly. So too with Job, whose suffering took him to the very edge of death. I don't believe many today could claim that they are suffering as much as Job did centuries ago, but many are suffering the physical and emotional effects of this virus. The long and the short of all of this is that the adversity Job experienced on an individual level is similar to that which we are now experiencing globally. I've seen many people struggling. For example, while working with Tom, we went to Martin's, which is a homeless shelter, and we helped give out food. When you go, you see a ton of homeless people, but the thing is, although they don't have a lot to their name, they are still some of the happiest people I've ever met. There's this one guy. I was talking to him, and he was telling me how he got here. He told me how before all this, he was doing well for himself and was living a normal life. Then it all changed. He said his wife cheated on him, causing him to spiral down, and he fell to the knees of the devil. He started to lose everything. He lost his business, which led to his house. His family disowned him, and now he sleeps on the street, all alone. Yet when I was still talking to him, he was a really genuine, happy guy. He started to realize the way he went about things were wrong. He repented his sins and is now a child of Christ. I think once he got rid of the devil and filled his heart with God, that's when he became happy again. He still has nothing to his name, but he's probably one of the happiest and grateful people in this world. This reminds me of Job's passage. They both lost almost everything, yet they still began another bond with God and never fully turned away from it. They say life is full of ups and downs, 
There are challenges we face in life that can hold us back from achieving God's divine purpose for our existence. These challenges might come in very different ways, but the Bible assures us that we are overcomers in Christ. Job chapter 2, verse 10. But he said to her, Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Everyone wants to have a smooth, free life where there will be no struggles. But the truth is, the devil is not happy that we belong to Jesus. He wants us to feel discouraged about life. But God has a different plan for us. The plans he has for us is of good, and we shall overcome through his son. Sometimes there are challenges that come from life itself. There are things we must go through to achieve something good. For example, a student who is struggling to see himself through school knows it's not going to be an easy road, but only God can see him through all the struggles. To overcome means to defeat, to excel in a situation that was not the plan of God. Overcoming means an end to the, uh, suffering, pain, or hardship. It's like when you forget all the pains you went through to achieve something great. Struggling brings weakness. It makes you lose hope and probably give up in life. Any struggles that you're going through at the moment, God is able to see you through. He knows what we are going through, and he has promised to be with you till the end. In his kindness, God called to you to share in his eternal glory. Uh, means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will have a place for you on a firm foundation. I'll be sharing a reflection on my passage from Luke. The reason I picked these verses was because through these rough times, we need to be surrounded by love and forgiveness, and this passage is a great, great example of that. In these verses, a son asks his father for his whole inheritance because he wanted to go off and have a good life. He becomes greedy and moves away from his father. The son betrayed his father and cut all of his ties with him. But he, he did not care because of all the, all the riches he was given. During his time away, he spends all of his money on careless things, causing him to waste all of his father's hard work. The son knows he betrayed his father and thinks because of this, his father will never forgive him. So he spends a long time looking for a job but was never able to find one. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. No one would give him a job or even a scrap of food, even though he was willing to work anywhere. So, in his time of desperation, he went to his father and told him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Although his son, although his son betrayed him, he forgave him and allowed him to come back home. Instead of being mad at his son, he rejoiced him and celebrated him with the most fatty calf. To sum it up, this is a great example of how we should treat each other when times get rough. He knew his son betrayed him, and he still allowed him to come back home and live with him. Reading this shows us how important it is for you to forgive those who have wronged you. And an important thing to remember is when someone gets knocked down, 
We need to help them get back on their feet instead of pushing them back down. In, in life, we are going to make mistakes, and with those mistakes, they, we will be able to learn and grow. Another great example of this is when God sacrificed his only son for us. While Jesus was on the cross, the Romans thought that Jesus was a joke and mocked him throughout his whole crucifixion. Even after Jesus was treated this way, he still asked for their forgiveness. He gives up everything for the world and still doesn't blame them for what they did to him. With his last moments on earth, he forgives all that have wronged him, causing humanity to be united with God. Jesus' last words were, It is finished. Because by dying, he finishes his duty as Son of God. He knows that he has done all that he can do on earth, and now it is up to his disciples to spread his teachings to the world. By giving up his life, he completes his mission, and now all that has to happen is for his followers to spread his teachings. His sacrifices shows his disciples that it is okay to die for your religion and to not be afraid of death. After his death, he is able to be united with God and soon followed by his disciples. Jesus is another great example of how to forgive and show kindness towards others. In our time in quarantine, we need to show kindness and forgiveness like these examples provided above. We need to reach out to others when they are in need and put our differences aside. The most important thing I learned was that you don't have to be perfect all the time and you need to surround yourself with those who will have your back. A great place to go when you make a mistake is the church. In the church, you can turn to God and he can guide you when you feel lost. When times get tough, we should come together as a community and help those who are in need. COVID has really shown me that when life gets tough, you need to be there for those who are down on luck. So in order to give back to my community, I found several ways to give back to those in need. I had the opportunity to make lunches for the homeless at St. Vincent de Paul's food bank. This experience allowed me to better myself because I was able to give back to my community and feed the poor. I also stepped in when my parents needed help in their office. They're in the healthcare industry and were shut down for many months with no staff. They needed assistance to see emergency patients during the pandemic. So I would wear PPE necessary to protect myself and from the light-threatening airborne aerosols created by working in people's mouths. I also chose to stay home and continue my education remotely from home so I could take care of my grandfather after my grandmother passed. These are just a few sacrifices I made compared to the sacrifice Jesus made for us. After losing my grandmother to natural causes, I saw how fast you can lose someone you love. This opened my eyes and made me appreciate every moment I have with my family. COVID allowed me to be more involved with my family and it also allowed me to spend more time with them. Throughout this last year, I really have been able to create a better and stronger bond with my grandpa. I have been able to get to know him better than I ever have before, and I also have been allowed to spend the time and do more things with him. During this time, I have been able to go golfing and bowling with him, and even though he beats me at both, I still enjoy spending time with him. Through spending time with him, I am able to feel closer and more connected to him. He surrounds me with all the love and forgiveness 
that I thought was the moral of these verses. Thank you. My passage is from Matthew, and I will be expanding on the idea of control. I like to have consistency in my life. On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I wake up two hours before I go to school so I can go on a run. I fill out my daily health screener at 8 a.m. sharp and pack my bag in the same order every day. First my notebooks, then my water, last my computer. I find myself in this endless loop of going to school, studying, and hanging out with friends. And I clean my room every night, making sure that all my belongings are where they are supposed to be. I enter all my week's plans into Google Calendar and get frustrated when things change suddenly. Control. What even is control? It's a behavior that can be both negative and positive. I don't want to be told that I'm out of control, yet being too controlling isn't exactly a compliment. Where's the balance, and how can we find it? In my passage from Matthew, the Bible reads, But by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking toward them on sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost and they cried out in fear. The disciples are trapped in the middle of the sea in a sinking boat. The overwhelming emotion of fear is both literally and metaphorically drowning them. It seems as though Jesus is nowhere to be found, which sends them in, into a state of panic. At least, I know I would panic. It's at this moment that, that the disciples demonstrate how being out of control can be very overwhelming. They want to stop the storm and feel safe, but they don't know how, which leads to panic and fear. Like the disciples, I've found myself in situations where I want control so badly that I will allow that fear to overtake all my other emotions. In the process of trying to control my surroundings, I often end up losing control of my own self. Rather than trying to control and predict the outcome of everything going on, Trusting that God is there for me often helps mitigate much of the anxiety and stress that I face when trying to control my environment. We see the disciples struggle with control as they witness the so-called ghost walking across the water. The ghost, who is actually Jesus, says to the disciples, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. To this, Peter is in pure disbelief and responds with, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Despite the fear that Peter is experiencing, his curiosity as to how someone could possibly walk on water is much greater than the emotion of fear. As Jesus leads Peter onto the water, he begins to sink. It was in that moment that Peter allowed the fear and lack of control to consume his emotions. Peter is stuck in the middle of a vast ocean and is drowning in his own fright. 
Rather than trusting that Jesus is there, he panics and descends into the deep water. Of course, Jesus reaches his hand out to Peter and says, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus' words to Peter are very powerful. Why did he doubt Jesus? Why didn't he just trust that he would be there to support him? I often find myself in a similar position to Peter. I will fear something so greatly that I will sink in my own emotions rather than trusting God. Unfortunately, letting go and putting faith into Jesus is often not as easy as it sounds. It takes practice, patience, and a lot of time to be able to just let go and have faith. I like to think that control is similar to an itch. An itch can be so bothersome, so annoying. It makes it hard to focus on anything else going on. Of course, we also know that our nails are filled with harmful bacteria, and scratching something, such as a mosquito bite, can lead to a dangerous infection. Yet, the need to scratch is so overwhelming, we do it anyway, despite the possible consequences. Similar to control, it takes a lot of practice to be able to know not to scratch and to just let it be. Throughout my childhood, my dad has faced a variety of health issues, from brain surgery to heart disease. My family has really struggled to cope with many, many of my dad's health dilemmas. Be resilient, my mom would tell me. My parents seem to deal with bad news so well. They both have accepted the fact that life is unpredictable and the future is not in anyone's control. During times of hardship, my mom always told me to pray. She would encourage me to ask God to watch over my dad. Although I was beyond anxious and nervous, I did my best not to let the fear take over and spent every night praying. After months of praying for a good outcome, in the fall of 2014, my dad underwent an 11-hour brain surgery in order to remove a carotid artery aneurysm. I knew that no matter how much I prayed, there was still a chance something bad could happen. But I chose to hold on to faith and did my best to trust God. It was that November that my dad survived the surgery, and even six years later, I am still beyond grateful. I'm grateful that my mom encouraged me to hold on to faith and trust God and pray. It was a miracle. I wanted so badly to find control, but instead, I chose to found, find God. It is now that I realize that being in control is not actually in my control. Confirmation has really helped me come to this realization, as I've learned so much about God and forming a relationship with him. Life is so unpredictable. The only thing we're really in control in is how we choose to treat other people and our own actions. People are going to do as they please, and that's often not going to be what I want. In these situations, I found that the best solution is to put trust into God, to know that he will be there for us and guide us in the right direction. Even though nothing in life is guaranteed, being able to talk to God gave me a sense of relief and security. It's through my relationship with that I now understand that it's okay if I'm not always in control. It's okay if I decide to pack my bag in a different order, sleep in a little, or forget to clean my room one night. 
I know that no matter what happens, I don't have to be in control, and I can put my faith into God. Thank you. My reflection is from the book of Nehemiah, and I'm focusing on the concept of compassion. I believe, is, I believe comp compassion is a necessity for anyone's success. My passage starts with Moses coming down from Mount Sinai after talking with God, only to find that the Israelites have misbehaved. Up to this point, God had saved them many times. However, the Israelites refused to be happy with their freedom. It states in the passage, they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. They turned their backs on God and exclaimed how they would rather go back to Egypt and be slaves. This is a very common situation in the present day. People are offered something better, but they often don't take it. They aren't willing to change and only want to stick with ideas or things that they know and trust. With the pandemic now being more than a year old, the world wants it to be over. And luckily, different groups of scientists have made a vaccine that makes it so you are unable to get the virus. Most people have gotten it by now, and as of today, about 80% of Marin County has gotten it. But there's a small percentage of people who refuse to get the vaccine that are eligible. And if this only affected themselves, that would be fine. But it affects lots of people and prevents others from being happy and having life return to quote unquote normal. The Israelites and the people today are in similar states of denial. The Israelites want to return to having complete freedom like the time before they lived in Egypt. Similarly, the people in the present also want complete freedom. Freedom to return to how things were pre-COVID. They believe that the virus will magically go away or it doesn't exist. Nehemiah states, God does not get angry. Instead, he shows compassion, knowing that they need his help even if they don't believe so. This is key to being a successful person in life. When I say successful, I don't mean making millions of dollars, but being happy and living life to the fullest. You are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love and you did not forsake them. Oftentimes, I find myself getting mad at friends and schoolmates for the little things, whether it be playing on the field or that, that one friend that procrastinates on the project. But I remind myself to be compassionate. Being angry and mad doesn't make you successful and happy. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud that led them in the way did not leave them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night that gave them light on the way by which they should go. This is a great example of being compassionate and how it makes you successful. I have rowing six out of the seven days of the week, and I see my teammates every single one of those days. Five of those six days of the week, we go out on the water, and I'm the constant. I'm the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire leading my teammates. Our season this year was short. Thus, we only had a limited time in the eights, the really big boats, and we never quite rowed perfectly. On our journey to perfection, however, it was my job to tell them how to improve their technique and call out people to focus. For us to win, we must be in sync. And that's where compassion comes into my everyday life. The coxswain is in charge of steering or leading the drills, as we are the middlemen between the coach and the rowers. But the thing that I find that takes the most, of my, the most amount of my focus is showing compassion. They literally have their backs to the direction we're going. They have to trust me to get them to victory and need me to support them the entire way. My job as the coxswain is to help us continually improve. 
I am always seeking perfection as we glide across the water. In a similar way, we are always working to understand our faith. Moses was the one to bring order to the lives of the stubborn Israelites. So too has our faith evolved because of stubbornness. If you aren't that familiar with how the Episcopal Church came to be, it's quite the unusual story. Our denomination was founded because someone won a divorce. That's right, a divorce. Not a big revolution or because of what Jesus said, it was because of divorce. Our story is that King Henry VIII needs an heir for his kingdom. To do this, he needed to get out of his marriage with Catherine of Aragon. They had been unable to conceive a son. However, the Catholic Church said no, as she had been married long enough and had a child with him. Being king and not being one told what to do. Henry created the Church of England. Today's Episcopal Church is directly descended from this decision, being as we are a former British colony. Because our church was based off on a divorce, forgiveness needs to be paramount in all of our faith lives. Forgiveness and compassion goes without saying in a church founded on divorce. I hope you can come out of this thinking about how to show empathy, and if you ever see someone in need, remember to be compassionate. Thank you. My confirmation passage is an excerpt from Psalm 18. Roughly 3,000 years ago, King David wrote the Psalms, supposedly. Psalm 18 is a metaphor of God always being the light in a world that sometimes gets very dark. I have been fortunate enough to have known God from a very young age. Both my parents are practicing Episcopalians who, before the pandemic, went to St. John's on Sundays regularly. Both my parents, when, both, when my parents were at church, I was usually at Sunday school, and when I turned 12, the youth group. I recall learning about creation, Noah, the Jewish exodus of Egypt, the ancient kings of Judah, the prophets, and Jesus and his teachings. As a requirement for my school, I had to complete at least 20 hours of service by December of 2020. I have completed 21 and a half hours of service, who are looking after kids in after-school programs to beach cleanups. However, the majority of hours were done by making bag lunches for the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Service creates extremely large amounts of self-satisfaction and a sense of belonging. By helping one's community, now, more than ever, people need to help others in need. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, an estimated 20 million Americans have lost their jobs and hence only a major source of income. Service not only creates great amount of self-satisfaction, it also unites the community towards a common goal. These days, unity does not come easy in America, and unity is one thing we must have in order to brave a pandemic. Since the start of the pandemic, I, as have many people, have felt a sense of loneliness due to lockdowns and restricted access to friends and family. In this loneliness, I have found a friend in God. Psalm 18 reads, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Although restricted until recently to worship at home, I have deepened my friendship with God. However, I have not found God in church or in worship, but in the natural world, nature. I have found that nature is one of the best antidotes to lockdown-induced anxiety and stress. Allowing my mind, to, my mind to wander without the threat of homework or schoolwork being at the back of my mind. Creation shows God's love towards humanity by creating a hospitable world in the loneliness of space. As a confirmand, I remember an interesting conversation in class about the evolution of God throughout history. 
from Genesis to the present day. The natural world for eight has, has for ages played God. The natural world on earth sustains all human life, and as far as we know it, all life in the universe. It has created and defined humans throughout the ages. If it were not for nature, humans would have never existed. And yet, humans are the single most destructive species to have ever lived on Earth. I love the natural world, and I believe there is no way, better way to communicate with God than in nature. Ever since I was a toddler, I have been fascinated by the natural world. The majesty of the world's creation is truly spectacular. I have, as many people have, experienced cabin fever in the past year due to COVID-19-induced lockdowns. Ever since, I have been more inclined to go and walk in nature. I have found extreme harmony whilst walking in nature, be it a redwood forest or alpine meadow. It is rather sad to see humans wreck nature to reap the rewards of it. But I am hopeful that the future will see nature restored to its former glory. I can draw stark par parallels between nature and God. Society says that there is no room for religion amongst modern science, healthcare, and welfare. However, science and religion are not mutually exclusive. In my life, God has served as a roadmap through life. Psalm 18 reads, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In my life, God has acted as a, road, as a shield, protecting me when life gets dark. God, like the natural world, has largely been forgotten by society as a friend and turned into an enemy that stands in the way of progress. But Christianity is built around love. Love of our neighbors, love of God, love of creation. The only progress God stands in the way of is progress towards hate. In this day and age, America is a divided nation. Political and social divisions are effectively splitting America in two, the left and the right. Mass protests and riots have resulted in the deaths of the accused and the accusers alike. There is a dream in which political, social, and racial differences are rendered obsolete because of love, love of all things. This dream does not only live in the hearts and minds of people here on earth, but in God, high in the heavens. This is God's dream, a dream in which all people put aside all differences and all divisions, united by love. Ever since the civil rights movement of the 1960s, America and the world have been getting ever closer to this dream. However, in the past years, the world has not progressed, but regressed away from this goal. People have cast aside religion, and in doing so, cast aside a message of love. This is why God is still so very relevant in America and the world. And yet, throughout all our doubting of God, he is still watching over us, still loving us the same as he did millennia ago. Just perhaps more vigilant of humanity's actions down here on earth. God, like nature, will always sustain and love humanity to his best abilities until the end of time. Today I will be reflecting on a passage from Matthew. Do not worry. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, at, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? To be human is to worry. 
I can't think of a single living person who has not had a single worry, let alone several worries, throughout their life. The sensation of worrying can vary greatly depending on the person and the cause. For example, running late to a babysitting appointment can be quite worrisome, whereas running late to an AP math final exam, the kind where you need every minute to calculate and formulate answers to unknown problems, can feel quite panicky. Whether it's a small worry or an intense moment of anxiety, the sensation doesn't seem to pass until enough time and closure or a new experience occurs. This past year, plenty of time has passed and yet I find myself still wrestling with the concept of handing my worries over to a higher power. So much is still unsettled so much is still unclear, so little closure to be found in the time of COVID. I've eaten more than needed in times of concern as food seemed to offer comfort. I've watched more than one episode of a show I normally wouldn't make time for as the distraction felt calming. I've also built new gardens around our home, drawn more sketches than I can count, learned a new instrument, and walked more miles with my family than we typically would in our busy lives. In all this, God was there. COVID was often a source of limits, and COVID was often a source of reset. I wonder if when God first created life, did he ever use an eraser? Did he ever pause to reconsider his choices? Or is divine creation a spontaneous perfection? In my opinion, Giving your worries to God doesn't necessarily mean living carefree, but it does mean that you can only plan so much because at some point in our lives, choices and events are truly out of our hands and how we are to react is unexpected. By letting God in on some of our concerns, handing our worries over to him can be seen as a time to worry a little less and trust a little more. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Your heavenly father knows that you need them. As a teenage girl, I feel remiss not to mention that everyday fashion is not always worn to be functional. But as an artist, I'm often inspired by the many colors and textures of fashion that have been created and motivated by God's creations. Whether it's a runway garment or a celebrated sculpture or painting, an element of nature almost always seems to be at the root of inspiration. Is the paisley pattern not the shadow of a fish below the sea swimming about? The thinking statue of David deep in prayer? Fashion and art can be interpreted as an homage to the imperfection of creation when humans attempt to imitate the divine. And in that imperfection is often more inspiration from the observer, living in the same world of color and beauty, but wearing a lens that sees the world around them differently. God's creation of a simple daisy growing wild in the middle of a concrete crack in a suburban sidewalk could be stepped on, picked, photographed, or eaten. But in its existence, it is perfect in every way. 
how it is perfect is the source's identity. God is a higher power, and I don't know who designed God or how he came to be. I only know that as one of his creations, I often forget that I am perfect in the eyes of God. I am how I was designed to be. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The time I worry the most are when I begin to overthink or overplan scenarios that have yet to happen in my life, worrying about a future that may or may not even come to pass. Personally, I find myself praying in times of worry, forgetting to pray humbly in times of gratitude. A silver lining to COVID is the prolonged time of worry that has led me to longer periods of prayer and a stronger connection to God. Through this confirmation class, I have learned that prayer in general is a connection that needs no reason. These past months, I've practiced praying with gratitude with my class after every session as a way of wrapping up our weekly learnings. Through this small act of prayer and gratitude, a positive light was shined on the cloudy times of COVID and worry, taking a minute to think about and hold on to the small positive thought of grace and thanks brings me more comfort than the stress eating or the distraction of a flashing screen. I was recently awarded the most inspirational golfer at Terralinda High for women's varsity golf. Being new to a defending MCAL champion team can be stressful. I started out so novice, quickly supporting my team of seniors with lower and better scores each match. I may look like I'm spacing out sometimes in between shots, staring off beautifully staring off at beautifully groomed greens set in abundant wildlife scenery. Sometimes I'm just checking in with God. I'm not on my knees and I'm not in the chapel here at St. John's. My mouth isn't even moving. But I like to think the connection is still strong. The quiet and the natural setting lets my mind wander. On the other hand, or should I say on the other field, prayer comes in a different form. The middle of a fast-paced varsity lacrosse game, while I block attackers and try for interceptions to snag the ball from the opposing team, I may pray a few times in order not to lose a limb during an illegal check or defensive body block, but I wouldn't say it's the same kind of praying. Throughout COVID, my family and I have grown closer in the community service we have been a part of to help those in need. COVID was such a worrisome time for us and a good distraction and comfort from the uncertainty and fear of the pandemic was to help and support those around us. My family and I took part in a food bank, helping deliver and provide food for people who could not currently afford the healthier lifestyle thanks to the complexities of the COVID circumstance. Throughout these trips of delivery, even though we were six feet apart, I felt closer to my community and I grew a closer connection to God through our hours of service and support. During these trips, one in particular stood out to me. Its location was in Oakland. Our deliveries that day consisted of supplying a church, a shelter, and different families who had opened their homes so that others could be provided the nutrition and source of energy that they needed to get through each day. Driving back and forth, back and forth, I noticed tents and campers where people had created a home for themselves, a community usually ignored or shunned by society. 
These living areas of people were just trying to survive and get by like the rest of us. It amazed me to see how a community that should be so different from the privileged community I'm growing up in was not so different in heart. God looks upon the Earth's children equally, providing for everyone, no matter what race, religion, age, or sexuality a person may be. There was a woman in this particular community that I'll never forget. She was holding up a sign that read, we are not homeless, we are houseless. There's a difference. As a young adult, reading that sign as we passed by truly affected me in a way that I'll always remember. We are not defined by the neighborhoods that we live in, the cars that we drive. God is everywhere, and home can be anywhere. As I looked more closely without gawking or treating the living camps like a spectacle, I was reminded of the comfort and organization my family feels from our many camping trips each summer and fall. The difference, of course, being we do that to get back to the basics. And the encampment members live in this basic manner out of necessity. One woman had a bright green vest on and was picking up litter around the caravans and tents. Another man was cooking a bunch of different food on a big surface, surface, clearly for more than one person to eat. I saw an older teen with younger children playing a game of cards, eating chips, and drinking sodas. It reminded me of me and my cousins. This was a scene that you could just as easily see in our neighborhoods in Lucas Valley. The pancake breakfast cookouts, the backyard barbecues, kids playing in the streets. We had so much in common, and yet housing, funding, and education set us worlds apart. Perhaps we both give up our worries to God and as we get through our journeys. I remember feeling like the worries of this encampment in the middle of Oakland, near a highway, were far more important than mine. Then I remembered. God doesn't work that way. Believers or not, wealthy or poor, young or old, we are all children of God. And like a shepherd looks after his sheep, God will continue to be there for us no matter how little or how great our worries may seem. God is a plan made out for each of us. And whether we stray from the path set for us or choose to start new adventures and create our own plans, I feel that God will always be with us. It's comforting to acknowledge that a spiritual presence will watch over me and be alongside my life's journey to help lift and support my worries, big or small. Thank you.